How is everybody today? Uh, are you busy? Yeah. What's going on? Well, a little bit going on? Yeah, got a lot going on. Hey, I, I want to point out to you that in your program guide, I've been busy this week. Um, I put the wrong scripture in there. Uh, it's really great. This is the, it's the third service of the morning. I just now realized it. So everybody else is completely lost. Um, it's, it's chapter 61, not chapter 64. Today I'll be reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4, and then 8 through 9, chapter 61. Now you're wondering, where, where did this passage come from? How did David select this passage for this morning? Well, this comes from the lectionary. Lectionary is a cycle of readings chosen for Christians all over the world to read today and to reflect during the season of Advent. There were actually four lessons chosen for today. I chose the Old Testament lesson. The other is the uh, gospel lesson where Mary learns that she's going to give birth to the baby Jesus and then she sings a song called the Magnificat. And it's really interesting, if you, you want to do an interesting study, is to go look at this passage from Isaiah, and then go look at the song that Mary sings. The song that Mary sings is, is a song of joy, but it's also a song which indicates God's love and concern for the poor and, and for the brokenhearted. But I've chosen this morning Isaiah chapter 61. Let's open our hearts and minds now for the reading of the word of the Lord. Isaiah writes, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair, in their righteousness they will be like great oaks, for the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago, and they will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations, and everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Now this section of the prophet Isaiah, I will remind you, comes from the third Isaiah, which was written after the people of God had returned to Jerusalem from their exile in Babylon. Their entire life, their whole way of life, they've been in exile for 70 years. They go back to Jerusalem and they are there in mourning 
for their former life and for their, their world and for their city. And this, this word from Isaiah was written to people trying to rebuild their cities, to the poor, the oppressed, the broken, and showing God's favor on them. But also when we read it from Isaiah, I'll point out here in a minute that this passage also is a future look into who Jesus would be and what the focus of his ministry itself also would be when he came into the world. So I've been thinking about Christmas gifts. I, I hope you're thinking about them, right? You're thinking about them. Your children hope you're thinking about them. You know, what, what do you do, you know, when you have college students and they expect you to give them presents, but they can't tell you anything you're interested in or they really want, and they already have everything. What they really want is just cash, right? You just want cash, right, Chloe? Cash? Just want cash. Yeah. Austin, you want cash? How much? Your dad's right there next to you. Yeah. So <laughs> 500 would be okay? That would be good, yeah. So I've been thinking about Christmas gifts and thinking about what makes a gift memorable. Cash isn't really very memorable. And started thinking about my dad. I had a front row seat my whole life watching my dad give my mom Christmas presents. I got to see one she liked, the one she didn't like. The first Christmas present my dad ever gave my mom was probably the best. He gave her a Charlie Brown Christmas tree for $1.50 bought on Christmas Eve. And she says the most special, best Christmas ever. But let me tell you, that was last week. So let me tell you about the worst Christmas gift my dad ever gave. I'll never forget it. We were living on Lazy Lane. Lazy Lane, 7933 Lazy Lane in Richland Hills, Texas. Big, nice box. My mom's excited. She opens it up, and it was a toaster oven. How would you, wives, how would you feel about it? You like the idea? No, it wasn't a good gift. But you know what? There's, no, there's even a worse gift than giving your wife um, a toaster oven. You know what's worse? A piece of exercise equipment that was not requested. That, that, is, that is like epic failure on the couch for like six Christmases. It's funny, the memorable Christmas gifts, I remember the, the story about my dad and mom and the Christmas tree, but I don't remember all the good gifts. I just remember the bad gifts. And I wish I could say I haven't given any bad gifts to Teresa, but you'll have to ask her. Hopefully this year I've nailed it. I've nailed it. She's not here. You want to tell you what it was? Uh, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay. <laughs> but let me tell you about the most special gift that my sister and I received that was really memorable for my parents. We were living in Bowie, Texas. Do you know where Bowie is? No. It's next to Decatur. Uh oh. Well, Decatur is next to the Kona. <laughs> Wichita Falls? Maybe, maybe. Okay. So my dad and mom, we had moved out to Bowie, Texas, about 1,500, 2,000 people. And I was in second grade. My sister was in first grade. And my dad had taken over a milk route serving that whole area. And we moved in this little four-room house. I still remember the vinyl flooring. It was out in the country. And we had those heaters that you had to light with a match. You remember? I mean, it's terrible to put a, a heater that you have to light with a match in a house made of wood. It's, a, it's ripe for disaster. So you, at night, you'd have to turn off. You know, you'd have to turn off the stoves so you wouldn't burn the house down and then have these big, heavy blankets. And I remember that first Christmas. I remember it was so cold. And I remember my mom and dad had to get up and heat up the house before we could get up and see what Santa had brought us. And after we saw the Santa gifts, my, there was a gift from my mom and dad, and this was it. 
Wahoo. You ever heard me say wahoo? That's, I say it a lot. Wahoo! When I get excited, that's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. Well, wahoo is a, is a game my mom and dad gave. This is kind of like trouble, kind of like parcheesi, but it's a sort of a Texas game, I suppose. And the gift wasn't that great. That's not what was memorable. What was memorable was that we spent the entire day together in that little four-room house on Christmas Day making memories. Sister first grade, me second grade, mom and dad around the table all day playing a game. Special, special, special memory. Let me ask you, do you remember a special gift that your parents gave you? What's the most memorable gift that you've ever received? I, I was, uh, had the opportunity this, this week to go see a movie with my wife, and I think it's a really good movie. Went to see The Man Who Invented Christmas, and it's the story of Charles Dickens and how he uh, wrote the, the book, The Christmas Carol. And it's a wonderful movie. I had no idea that Charles Dickens himself grew up in poverty. His father went to debtor's prison, and he ended up going to basically a child labor factory where he had to work night and day, 12-hour shifts as a little boy in a, a, sh- a shoe blacking company. And so much of his life, he grew up in a situation where he didn't have a lot, and he really struggled with himself with generosity. He saw the poor, but he also realized if you're going to make, you have to take care of yourself in the world. And so what the movie revealed is that a lot of the story of A Christmas Carol and the story of Scrooge is sort of a personal transformation that took place in his life. And actually, the inspiration for the story was when he went to a children's home where very, very poor children were living, living and saw their conditions. And much of his life, he was concerned about the poor, the, the oppressed, and you see that in a lot of his writings. And so he gave us this really wonderful, wonderful Christmas gift. We get, every year we get to read a Christmas carol. A wonderful story of abundance and generosity. But he gave a gift to his family. When he was writing Oliver Twist... He wrote a book called The Life of Our Lord, and it was the story of the birth and the life of Jesus. And this is in the beginning of the book. What a memorable gift. He says, my dear children, I'm very anxious that you should know something about the history of Jesus Christ. For everybody ought to know about him. No one ever lived who was so good, so kind, so gentle, and so sorry for all people who did wrong or in any way ill or miserable as he was. He wrote that for his children. It was, all, it was a handwritten. And every Christmas with his children, he read this story to them. And it was never to be published until after his last child passed away. And then after his last son died, his family agreed to publish it. And it was published 64 years later after the death of Charles. What a memorable, beautiful gift to give your children at Christmas. The gift of Jesus and the reason we celebrate the season of Christmas. So what's the most memorable gift you've given? What memorable gift will you be giving to someone this year? It's that gift that touches someone's heart that says, I know what you want. I know you on the inside. I know what you care about. Well, that led me then to ask this really important question. Because I, it, it occurs to me that if Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, that we sort of forget whose birthday it is. 
And I wonder if you picked out a gift for him. I wonder if you thought of God this Christmas. We get so busy running around shopping and thinking about the things we want for other people. But do we forget who this, whose birthday it was? It, we give it gifts to ourselves like it's our birthday. And we spend ourselves into oblivion and we end up at New Year's with sort of a Christmas hangover. And a year later we wonder whatever happened to all the things that we bought that really didn't mean anything to anyone anyway. What, whose birthday is it? And what would God want for Christmas? Well, if you want to give a memorable gift to God, if you want to give a memorable gift to Jesus, I would suggest that you learn what's on God's heart. That you give him a gift that he'll go, oh, wow, that's exactly what I wanted. How many of you, let let me just, how many of you open your gifts on Christmas evening? Christmas Eve, raise your hand. Some? How many open your gifts on Christmas Day? Raise your hand. Most of you. My family, one year, they decided you can open up one gift on Christmas Eve. One. You get to pick it out. And I remember it was, we were excited, you know. We had the dinner, go to pick out the one gift. I opened up my gift. I shook it. It sounded great. Opened up, it was pajamas. And who wants pajamas? I was so disappointed. I mean, how can you be sure that you're not going to give God pajamas? How can you be sure that you're not going to give God a toaster oven? How can you be sure that God's not going to go up and go, exercise equipment? Have I put on too much weight? Come on. you got to know God's heart. Here's the problem. I think that, that we, we, maybe we don't know God's heart like we should. That's why Isaiah 61 is so important. You go, what does that story have to do with Christmas? Well, everything. It's the reason Christmas exists. What does Isaiah 61 tell us? It says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to comfort those who mourn, to let go those who are in prison, to forgive those who are indebted. Now, when you read that, you go, that could be for me. There's lots of ways to be imprisoned. There's lots of ways to be poor. But I want to point out to you, what he's talking about here in the text is not spiritual poverty. He's talking about physical poverty. He's talking about people who have nothing. He's talking about people who have been left out, oppressed, forgotten, abused, left behind. That's what he's talking about. And he says here that this is what God cares about. And I have to be honest. This week I had a huge major sermon block. It was bad. I mean bad. I thought I was going to work on the sermon all week. I was going to have nothing. I was going to walk up here and say, Dolly, I have nothing. Come on up and tell them something. Aren't you glad I didn't? Why was I having trouble? It's because I read the scripture and I thought, well, if I preach on this passage from Isaiah, people are going to come to church and they're going to go home and say, what did you get at church? Well, I got pajamas. I didn't get what I wanted. It didn't make me feel good. Why didn't he talk about my family? Why do you have to talk about the poor? Why, why those things? Why Isaiah? Because that's what God cares about. And so I wrestled it all week, and I thought, well, this, this is a tough passage to preach. I mean, people don't want to hear this. This is, this is hard because, honestly, we're not those people in the Scripture. That's not us. We're the other people. 
And I, so I thought, well, this is just dangerous. I just think I'm going to do something else and be very, very nice, and everybody will go home and feel happy. Well, I hope you're still happy. But if we're going to give God a gift for Christmas, shouldn't we give God what God wants? And you know, if you read Scripture, I, I have to point out to you that the concern for the poor, the concern for justice is not a political issue. It's not a liberal issue. It's not a conservative issue. It's not a secondary concern. It's a primary concern. A lot of different ways to address all those things. But it's a concern of God. And when you read the scripture from beginning to the end of the Bible, thousands and thousands of verses dealing with this. Let me just share a few. Off, we got, it's 11.45. I got 30 minutes. I can read these. Just a few. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up for them. Speak and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their cause and will exact life for life. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead. All the nations that forget God, all the nations that forget God. God will never forget the needy, the hopes of the afflicted, and will never perish. And that's just Proverbs and Psalms. Jesus said this. He said, looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. We take the Beatitudes and we spiritualize them. And that's, that's okay. But when he talks about blessed are the poor, and look, he really means the physically poor. It's the word potokos in Greek, which means the destitute and no ability to feed or take care of themselves. I had a pretty interesting experience a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday. I went to St. Stephen's Church uh, in uh, West Louisville. There was a speaker there on a Wednesday forum. The forum is about bringing people together from the east part of the city and the west part of the city to, to create opportunities for people in West Louisville so they can pick themselves up out of poverty and create jobs. And so I went to this a speaker named Dr. Tony Campalo from Philadelphia, who's a sociologist, good speaker. He's a good speaker. He told this story. He says, when you walk down Chester Street, in uh, Philadelphia, you don't look people in the eye because you encounter a lot of homeless people. And if you look homeless people in the eye, you never know what's going to happen to you. So you just keep your head down. You know what I mean. You've done it, right? Put your head down, walk by. Maybe they won't notice you, right? You've never done that? Okay, just, just me. All right. So walking down the street, and he, and he can't, he, he looks up, and he sees a man walking very quickly toward him like this. Disheveled, dirty, greasy. Carrying a styrofoam cup from McDonald's with coffee in it. Hey, mister, he says to Tony. Would you like a sip of my coffee? It's really hot. Tony said, what do you do? He said, I mean, do I really want to drink coffee from the same cup as a man who lives on the streets? He said, but I couldn't refuse 
the man's generosity, what would it hurt? So he says, sure. Man's having a cup of coffee, takes a little sip from the coffee, says, that's pretty good, and hands it back to him. And he looks at the man and he says, well, you seem like you're having a really good day today. What's going on? What's, what's made you so happy today? And he said, sir, the coffee this morning is especially delicious. And when the Lord blesses you with a gift, you should share it and just give it away. And Tony then groaned. He said, oh, I know what that means. He wants 10 bucks. You know, I'm supposed to give what I have to him. So Tony said, I looked at him and I said, oh, okay, what do you want? And Tony said, he said, just a hug, sir, just a hug. Tony put out his arms and he said, this foul-smelling man wrapped his arms around him. And it wasn't just a small hug. It was a bear hug, lifted him up off the ground and just held him. And it went on and on to the point of becoming uncomfortable and embarrassing as people were walking by. And he said, I was embarrassed. I was uncomfortable until I remembered the words of Jesus who said, you helped me when I was naked and you gave me clothing. You helped me when I was hungry and you gave me food. You helped me when I was in prison and you came to visit me. And when you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it for me. One of the mistakes we make in, in, in Christianity is I think that we've been so future-oriented that we've missed that the fundamental point of the gospel is about this world. And when the baby Jesus came to the world to die for the sins of the world, he didn't just come to take us out of the world, but he came to invest in this world. And when we think about salvation, and the reason we think this way is because we have most of the stuff that we need to live a good life. But salvation in the Bible is bigger than just going to heaven. Salvation is tangible, physical, and real. It's homes for the homeless. It's food for the hungry. In this passage from Isaiah, I want you to understand that who is it that's rebuilding the cities? It's not people from another part of town going and rebuilding the city. It's about God empowering the poor to rebuild their own city. It's about helping people lift themselves up. That's the gospel. We are so future-oriented that we have made salvation very, very small when it's so big and so physical and so expansive. Now, every year at this time of year, and I don't say this in a derisive manner. I say this with a great deal of respect for those who share this concern. But every year at Christmas, we hear people talking about the Christmas wars. Oh, you know, Starbucks, is, it's happy holidays now. It's not Merry Christmas. Oh, Macy's, it's happy holidays. It's, you can't even go to Hallmark and buy a Merry Christmas card. You have to buy a Hallmark card. They've taken all the nativity scenes, you know, off the public squares. What's happening to our country? And, you know, we need to restore, we need to save Christmas. Now, I would say that's a very legitimate concern and question. And I respect anybody that wants to lift up the beauty of Christmas as a part of our, a part of our culture. But I think it's a bit misguided. 
Because I think the best way to save Christmas is not by some sort of cultural celebration that we've created of it, but it's to give God what God wants. The way we save Christmas is caring about the oppressed, the broken, and the poor, and remembering the reasons that he came. Those same words that we hear in Isaiah chapter 61, where it says, I've been anointed to preach good news to the poor. Same words spoken by Jesus in his very first sermon in his home synagogue, announcing the focus of his message in his ministry. That was his focus. That was his mission. Not just to take people to heaven, but to alleviate them from the misery and the hell of their present, present life. And so what is it, how do we save Christmas? Uh, we save Christmas by, you know, working with the people at St. John's Center, providing birthday parties for them so we can help restore a little of their dignity. That just happened a couple of weeks ago. How do we save Christmas? We save Christmas by helping, working side by side with people in Belize through hand-in-hand ministries, helping them build houses for them. How do we save Christmas? Through Habitat for Humanity, working with people who work on the projects themselves to help lift themselves out of poverty. You know, I think it's a great thing about having a nativity scene on a public square, but I think God could care less whether or not there's a nativity scene at the Capitol, but what he does care about the decisions that are made there that negatively impact the poor. Are we doing things to help people create jobs? But also, I'll say this, it's not the government's job to provide those things for people. We want to we let the, the government do it. That's our job. That's the church's job to do the work of Jesus Christ in the world for people. Kevin Cosby said this, and I'll never forget these words. It was pretty powerful. He stood up the day when Tony Campolo, you know what he said? He said, we asked the people in West Louisville what they wanted. They said they wanted jobs. So my church, we... We built them a family life center. They said they wanted jobs. We asked them again. They want jobs. So we provided them a basketball league. We asked them again what they wanted. They said they wanted jobs. So we offered them an after-school program. He said, when is it going to get around to us? And we've got to create some opportunities for people that they don't have. We've got to speak for them. We've got to help them create jobs so they can lift themselves up out of poverty and restore dignity to themselves. I think if we're going to give God what God wants for Christmas, we need to care about the things he cares about, to speak for those who have no voice, fight for the things that really matter, and not waste our things on things that are unimportant. I know you're really busy, but if you're going to be really busy at Christmas, why don't you be busy about something that will mean something instead of giving you a hangover on January 1st when you get your credit card bill? Instead of spending a lot of time, I mean, let me ask you, how do you buy a Christmas gift for a college kid who says, I don't know what I want, but I expect you to give me something? How about a trip to Belize this summer with Hand in Hand Ministries? That'd be a great gift. How about a mission trip? So I end this morning then with these words, what does God want for Christmas? Here's a good list. comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, and at the end, you will have your list, what God has on God's list for this Christmas. So Micah says, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before the God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Does he want burnt offerings? Does he want calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 
10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people. The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. Here's his list. To do what is right. Another translation basically is to do justice. To do justice. To make the world right for people who can't speak for themselves. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. That would be a really great gift for God this Christmas. To care about justice. To do it. To love mercy. And to live with humility. Amen.